Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Li Pingchen, one of the hosts of the channel. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Li Junxiao about his new book. This book is The Soldier Writer, The Expatriate, The Cold War Modernism in Taiwan, Freedom in the Trenches. This book was published by Lansington Books in 2022. This book argues that what appeared to be a genesis of new literature engendered by the modernist movement in post-war Taiwan was made possible only through the splendid isolation within the Cold War world order, in which the self-proclaimed free China lived on borrowed time. Xiao explores the trenches of freedom where the soldier poets deviated from the official line under the aegis of pure literature and the buffer zone created by the U.S. presence in Taiwan. This book examines the anti-establishment character in their literary production, especially in terms of its entanglements with the state apparatus and the U.S.-aided literary establishment. Their modernist writings, as Shao analyzes, should be understood in a bifurcated model of existence and operation that separates aesthetics from everything else in life during the Cold War. All right, so that's a brief introduction about the book. Now let's hear it from the author. Li Jun, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me, Li Ping. I'm glad to be here. All right. So before we uh, talk about your awesome book, um, can you tell a li- little bit about uh, yourself, your uh, research interest, and anything you'd like to share with our audience? Okay. Um, my name is Li Jun Xiao. Uh, I'm from Taiwan. Uh, I'm currently teaching at University uh, at Waseda University uh, in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, previously, I taught at National Taiwan University and National Jiao Tong University before that. Um, my research interests include, well, um, post-colonial studies, uh, literary and cultural theories, Taiwan literature and culture, and Anglophone uh, Caribbean literatures. Uh, so that you can tell that that, that, cut, that cuts across a lot of different fields fields of specialty. So, um, but uh, some of those uh, research interests and uh, uh, my uh, years of studies uh, don't come across uh, in this book, uh, but 
uh, as I will mention later on, uh, especially when we talk about my next project, uh, you know, I think uh, especially uh, my work on post-coronial studies uh, would be also brought to the forefront um, uh, in my project, uh, at least in the near future. All right. So among so many different fields that you are expert in, so uh, how did you start this particular book project about Taiwan and also specifically modernist literature uh, in the Cold War period? Uh, okay, it's something more personal, uh, but it also has a lot to do with uh, the kind of academic uh, climate environment that I have worked in, especially during my time in Taiwan. Uh, I think I'm old enough <laughs> um, to belong to uh, one of those generations in Taiwan uh, in which uh, most people uh, interested in literature or trend in literary studies would be heavily influenced one way or another uh, by the modernist paradigm. I, I'm sure you are familiar with this this paradigm, even though you are obviously much younger. Uh, but uh, people uh, who are, you know, I would say uh, more than forty. <laughs> would be uh, definitely kind of brought up uh, in this uh, kind of uh, tradition, uh, even though it is not limited to, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, Department of Foreign Languages and Literature uh, in National Taiwan University, uh, we can also talk about that institution and its institutional influences later on when we talk to individual talk about individual chapters uh, but uh, so because of this uh, upbringing <laughs> um, uh, so I I found myself uh, you know taking for granted a lot of the pre uh, presuppositions about literature uh, and uh, even you know uh, approaches to literary studies. And uh, uh, after I uh, went abroad uh, for my doctoral studies in the United States, uh, I kind of, uh, I also uh, didn't find it uh, conflicting or, you know, incompatible to specialize in post-colonial studies, you know, even with my um, uh, quite obvious uh, modernist orientations. Uh, and then um, uh, as the, the years went by, I also, uh, I, I, I actually, uh, after arriving in a, a American academia, I quickly noticed that uh, for a lot of people, uh, it is for a lot of American scholars and, you know, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, European scholars as well, uh, you know, uh, did uh, post-colonial studies and uh, modernism studies uh, don't mix. Uh, they, they don't have too much common ground right? uh, as far as they were concerned. And, and a lot of people, a lot of scholars in modernism studies uh, simply didn't like some of the uh, uh, intellectual orientations 
or methodologies uh, preferred by a lot of uh, scholars uh, in post-colonial uh, post studies. Um, so, but this kind of um, contradiction uh, didn't dawn on me until uh, a couple of years into my doctoral studies and didn't cause too much trouble for me intellectually uh, in my uh, in my career uh, until uh, after I started teaching and uh, and uh, kind of uh, branding myself as a post-colonial scholar while also uh, have you know uh, some of the remnants of uh, of uh, modernist uh, thinking and approaches to literature. Uh, so uh, I have uh, I, for a long time I have wanted to kind of sort it out uh, by myself, just, you know, if only for my own sake, right? Uh, what was it that um, made me wanted to, that made me wanted to uh, focus on post-colonial studies uh, uh, after this kind of uh, modernist upbringing, uh, after kind of uh, immersing myself in modernist paradigm? And uh, you know what my what I can do, uh, and, and what what could I do if I uh, wanted to kind of bridge uh, these two fields, uh, and, uh, and and also uh, doing, for example, doing something related to uh, Taiwan studies, uh, you know, uh, and, and involving some of the post-colonial issues. Uh, while uh, still uh, making uh, some of the uh, modernist um, meanings, uh, you know, uh, useful uh, for me. Um, so it wasn't easy. And, uh, and uh, you know, up until this day, I don't think I can, I, I, you know, I don't think I have come up with a kind of satisfactory work uh, that can uh, somehow bridge these two uh, disparate fields, uh, but I'm still trying. Um, and uh, but I think you know I eventually I realized that uh, I might have to do it you know at least in two steps. Right? So I try to um, uh, clarify some of my uh, thinkings and, uh, and previous work uh, on modernism uh, by doing this book. And, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, academic setup or uh, the institutional climate in Taiwan, uh, I wasn't, you know, um, I didn't have much, uh, I didn't have too many opportunities to really, um, you know, focus on uh, modernist works, you know, after, you know, after uh, you have kind of uh, uh, been labeled, um, as a post-colonial right, a post-colonial scholar, right? and uh, so uh, so this had this uh, the you know this work uh, in progress has been in the back burner uh, for uh, for a long time, and uh, finally uh, just you know somehow by chance and also uh, maybe uh, my years of thinking also amounted to some kind of preparation for this. I got this opportunity to do a book um, on uh, modernism, especially in the Cold War context. And I got a book contract from Lexington. So, uh, so I you know, set out uh, doing it and uh, 
it took a lot more time than I had imagined, and but I finally got it done. That's you know such a long story, but uh, um, but yeah, so. So yeah, so so when we get to my next, you know, get to the last question that you had, uh, you might be asking me uh, uh, about my next project, or we can talk more about that. Uh, but this is, you know, this book project is long time coming, and I think uh, maybe maybe uh, my experience as uh, as an academic um, nurtured in. In Taiwan, uh, also can speak to some of other people's experiences, especially people in my generation who branched out to other uh, fields of specialty. Mm. So uh, thank you, Li Jun, for sharing, especially this uh, your educational background, academic training, and also the personal reflections over the year that inform the writing and the formation and eventually the uh, completion of this book project. So you were uh, mentioning uh, modernist literature several times already. And so uh, one of the most challenging questions that I have for you in the store is, so what is modern literature? So what do we mean by modern? So can you tell us a little bit about this and then uh, how you approach this uh, category? Okay. Uh, I think, you know, that's, you know, we have to kind of um, circumvent, uh, you know, uh, the uh, definition issues. Um because uh, you know that you know, if not done delicately, that wouldn't get us very far. Uh, but you know, let me. Uh, we can start with uh, you know some of the terms that were employed uh, in the uh, formation of so-called modernist literature in Cold War Taiwan. Uh, in Chinese, initially, it was more frequently uh, mentioned or referred to as not just the name of the journal uh, itself but you know in general in general uh, you know some kind of uh, new paradigm of literature that uh, that that some modernist writers were advocating for uh, was initially referred to as uh, modern literature um, and uh, but of of course quickly uh, uh, people found it necessary to define xian uh, dai and uh, and then and of course uh, there was you know uh, this um, uh, movement of modernist poetry that uh, that named uh, this new paradigm xian dai pai right. Uh, so, so eventually, uh, of course, uh, the contestations over the definition of modernism and mo- modernist literature came to the fore. And uh, I think um, uh, modernism, uh, as I put it uh, in, in the, especially in the preface and in, in, in the introduction, uh, has definitely had uh, a lot of contesting definitions, uh, whether in Europe, uh, America, or in Taiwan or, or elsewhere in the world. Uh, 
and uh, uh, for you know, as far as the the modernist literature in Cold War Taiwan is concerned, uh, I think it comes down to uh, one's conceptions, whether they admit it or not, uh, about uh, the what whatever is contemporary, right? The, contemporary uh, contemporaneity of creative writing at the time, uh, at that historical juncture. Um, although uh, at the same time, very interestingly, they, they also invoked um, uh, precedents of modernist literature elsewhere, mostly uh, the, the uh, Euro-American model Right. Uh, in uh, in the manifesto of modernist poetry uh, drafted by Ji Xian, uh, he invoked uh, all the schools of new poetry since Baudelaire. Right? That's probably the uh, uh, one of the uh, broadest um, conception of modernism or literary modernity right? uh, in Euro America. Uh, uh, so there's this uh, very interesting um, uh, uh, presumption about the contemporary uh, contemporaneity of the creative writing that they aim to produce, and uh, but also this sense of uh, belatedness, right, uh, in comparison with you know all the. Uh, you know, uh, European and American models that they uh, that are involved, right? Uh, that you know, this ur- urgent, this urge to catch up with, you know, whatever is modern uh, out there, right? Uh, so, um, but you know, because this is in the Cold War context, uh, we also have to uh, take note of the fact that uh, modernism. Uh, around that time, uh, around the start of the Cold War, uh, wasn't as new as a few decades ago, right? Uh, I mean, there have been a lot of uh, work uh, done by, uh, especially by some American scholars, some of whom I, I quoted in my in my book, uh, about this, you know, the, the specific characters of this Cold War iteration, iteration of modernism modernist literature right? uh, uh, it is definitely uh, not as you know it, it does not have the same kind of radicality or uh, anti-establishment character that marked uh, the earliest uh, phase of modernist literature uh, in Europe right? uh, it is uh, kind of in, enlisted uh, to be an integral part of some of the Cold War initiatives uh, spearheaded by uh, uh, the uh, American authorities. Right? So, um, <clears throat> so, so there are a lot of interesting uh, instantiations of modernism uh, that we can see uh, historically, but also uh, in the Cold War context, right? So one thing that I uh, wanted to highlight is, you know, this series of restarts of modernism, uh, as I also uh, mentioned in my preface uh, and introduction that, you know, 
in the Euro-American context, there have been uh, 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 more than one, there have been multiple uh, proclamations about a, a, a brand new beginning of a certain literary or artistic endeavor. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, including the one uh, made famous by uh, Virginia Woolf that I quoted in, in my preface, uh, and uh, and uh, in 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 the East Asian context, in Taiwan context, uh, well, I say in the East Asian context because that also that would also include uh, China. Uh, as well, that you know, uh, we, it's already common knowledge now that that uh, modernism uh, or modernist literature uh, actually had appeared uh, in both colonial Taiwan and 1930s China. Right? Uh, so, uh, so it it wasn't exactly a, a brand new beginning, but it has been uh, perceived. Uh, in that way, uh, you know, uh, ever since the emergence of uh, the modernist paradigm, uh, at least in the Taiwan context, right, that we uh, tend to think that this is the, the you know, kind of groundbreaking endeavor. Uh, this, uh, this is totally, you know, uh, especially, com- you know, when considering the uh, uh, Cold War context, this is totally, uh, out of the blue, right? Uh, the the that modernist manifesto uh, uh, pronounced by Ji Xian, right? You know, it was in nineteen fifty six. Right? Uh, Taiwan was still, uh, you know, that the you know the 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 situation across the Taiwan Strait was still very tense. Right? Uh, you know, uh, there you know two two years later after that that. Declaration that that manifesto, uh, there was uh, there were this series of bombardment right in Jinmen, right. Uh, so yeah, I mean people realized that there was a really precarious time, right. Uh, but you know why modernism? Right? Why do we do modernist literature uh, uh, under such circumstances? So that's one of the uh, the. Uh, uh, contextual uh, issues that I think uh, can shed light on some of the some of the very interesting characteristics of this uh, modernism uh, in Cold War Taiwan. Right, and I especially definitely agree with you that it's never easy to just put a straightforward definition, right? So that's why I say this is the one of the challenging uh, questions that we have in the store. Um, as you mentioned that the uh, definition or the formation of the modernist literature, especially in Cold War Taiwan, the process and then the definition itself uh, is con- uh, it's a contested side where we see the uh, Western uh, models, but we also have the uh, different uh, legacies and also this vision to restart as if to uh, being rebirth and then to kind of uh, have a clean break uh, from the past. But later on, we will be talking about that uh, it seemed to be uh, quite a mixture of different uh, legacies. And, um, and also... Uh, since we're talking about the Cold War and especially the situation in Taiwan is um, 
complicated, specifically thinking about that the nationalist regime and then how it was still authoritarian, authoritarian regime with the、uh, martial law in effect. So,、uh, how does the、uh, nationalist government respond to this、uh, trend and also rise of literary modernism in Taiwan? Yeah, good question. I think you know.、Um... This issue、uh, has been addressed、uh, not only by me in my book, but also by、uh, the prior research、uh, in the in,、uh, the prior one of the uh, uh, primary sources、uh, in the English、uh, language that I cited frequently is、uh, the two books by uh, Professor uh, Zhang Songsheng, right? If I'm Zhang.、Uh, um, Teaching in Texas,、uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, um, so um, I think there, there's, there was this kind of um, uh, some kind of、um, tolerance or acquiescence on the part of、uh, the nationalist government,、uh, especially、uh, since the mid 1950s, right? When the anti-communist、uh, literature has kind of uh, 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 run out of steam,、uh, that that they sense that it's not effective、uh, as effective as maybe a, a couple of years ago.、Uh, that people are tired of that, uh, and uh, and uh, they also sense that there might be something that can be. Uh, incorporated into the、uh, or kind of uh, co-opted uh, into the official policy about、uh, literary productions.、Uh, if、um, we can somehow and and also help them to kind of help the the the、uh, nationalist、uh, government to present itself.、Uh, As、uh, you know, some kind of liberal leaning, although that might sounds really strange. But because of the、uh, American presence,、uh, because the fact that、uh, you know Jiang Jiechi's regime had to be、uh, you know one of the allies of the United States in East Asia, so、uh, there's there there seems to be this need for some kind of、uh, at least some semblance of、uh, open mindedness, right?、Uh, um, Uh, you know,、uh, in 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 you know, Cold War Taiwan to kind of uh, uh, claim yourself to be part of the free world, right? So that that、um, so so、uh, some of the、uh, earliest、uh, allocates of modern or modernist literature also uh, uh, kind of take advantage of that or plays into.、Uh, That kind of、uh, larger context of um, of、uh, American presence, you know, that can be conducive to their、uh, artistic and literary endeavors. Right?、Um, so, uh, so they,、um, but you know, what they did,、uh, what the modernists did.、Uh, wasn't to kind of、uh, initiate some kind of all-out.、Um, Attack on、uh, the conventional、um, forms of literature or the uh, the uh, 
the the kind of official uh, officially uh, endorsed uh, genre of literature like uh, anti communist anti communist literature. Instead, uh, they had this kind of uh, bifurcation uh, in their in their literary endeavors by you know uh, uh, you know on the one hand. Um, Partic- participating in producing uh, anti-communist literature. Uh, this is something that Ji Xian and, and the soldier poets uh, did uh, uh, to kind of uh, keep themselves uh, in the in some kind of safety net. Right? We did that. Uh, you know, we uh, we uh, you know actually also put into practice. Uh, the kind of uh, literary output that the authority wanted, right? But on the other hand, uh, we also want to use our spare time. Actually, that's you know most of their uh, uh, at least you know most of their creative energies uh, on something else, right? They wanted to uh, create something, uh, some kind of alternative uh, paradigm that they actually enjoyed, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, so there's this uh, need and uh, actual practice of uh, what we call in Chinese biao tai, right? Uh, or shu chen. Biao uh, tai is more like how do we translate into English? Uh, to kind of um, state your position clearly to to whether you are sincere or not to to uh, to demonstrate uh, your allegiance, right? your loyalty, right? and your or your submission to a certain kind of official ideology or the demand from the authorities, right? This can, this can also be um, kind of uh, 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 embodied in the. Uh, um, in the uh, uh, manifesto uh, of 1956, right? the, the manifesto of modernist poetry, uh, that you know, it, I think uh, this is one of the uh, most interesting documents uh, as far as you know people outside of Taiwan studies are concerned, right? You know, you look at this modernist manifesto and you see uh, in the abridged version uh, the last item. On their agenda, you know, out of the six uh, precepts of modernist poetry, they listed um, uh, support of freedom and democracy, patriotism, anti-communism. So they they put a kind of some kind of cold stamp uh, on their modernist uh, manifesto. So that's you know definitely uh, one of the best examples of uh, cold modernism. I uh, uh, I I showed this um, document to to uh, the American scholar um, Greg Bonheiso, who wrote this uh, book into who published this book in two thousand fifteen on the cold modernists. And he was really blown away <laughs> by this kind of um, or this kind of uh, right? uh, 
to the extent that you know it's elevated uh, to the level of manifesto. Yeah, and then especially as you mentioned, uh, in the Cold War structure, especially the nationalist regime, writers themselves need to think um, more than arts. So they are thinking about how to protect themselves so can they can continue to produce art. And as you mentioned that, uh, you know, the quote-unquote official literary narrative is this kind of anti-communist uh uh, uh, ideology, the literature, in order to sort of uh, really highlight, if not reinforce, one's political loyalty and one's political stance. And but at the same time, the writer, as you mentioned, the modernist writer, they are trying to still um, express their artistic ag- agency as well. So you have this very interesting um, dynamics or this uh, delicate balance that you need to sort of show your quote-unquote correct political stance versus you would still like to express the uh, artistic and creative uh, form of uh, individual expression in order to have that layers of protection. And I think the uh, example you gave us is... uh, amazing uh, that uh, the the Cold War stamp, as you use this term, Cold War stamp on their uh, modernist manifesto. So now uh, you talk about uh, Jixian and also the modernist uh, manifesto uh, in different time, but uh, I would like to sort of uh, um, ask you to introduce uh, who is this the writer of this manifesto? Who is Jixian and what is this manifesto about? And then the uh, influence or the legacy of this particular manifesto. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely very significant. Um, and uh, okay, so first of all, Jixian, right? Uh, so that also brings us back to that question of the res- one of the restarts of modernist literature. Right? Jixian himself actually uh, were, uh, participated or was part of this uh, literary journal uh, based in, in Shanghai right? uh, in the 1930s, uh, uh, practicing uh, uh, you know, one version of modernist poetry. Uh, so, uh, so uh, when he, uh, after he relocated to Taiwan, uh, he wanted to kind of revive that, uh, and also have this, of course, uh, this ambition of being the leader um, in this part of the Cold War divide uh, of uh, modernist literature that that was interrupted. Uh, by the civil war, uh, uh, so I mean, and and he could do that uh, as if on a clean slate, right? Uh, because uh, uh, the literary and cultural scene in Taiwan around those years were quite bleak, right? I mean, you know, the uh, uh, there were uh, many of the uh, intellectuals. Uh, writers, artists uh, uh, couldn't uh, 
come to Taiwan, you know, those those Chinese uh, and pre pre Civil War Chinese intellectuals and writers either couldn't come to Taiwan or had already sided with uh, uh, the communist regime and uh, and and move on to another a different type of um, literary or cultural productions, and uh, so there were very few. Uh, uh, writers like Tishan in Taiwan at the time, and uh, and the local writers, uh, the Taiwanese writers who uh, uh, did their work during the colonial era, uh, had to relearn the Chinese language. Right, uh, they had to switch to a different language of their literary production. So, so uh, it was you know really a a a kind of uh, kind of. Uh, it, he could really uh, initiate some kind of fresh start, right? Uh, that's also part of the, um, uh, you know, uh, co-work conditions that I elaborated in the book. You know, maybe I, but I don't, but I don't think I have a time to elaborate that, those in detail. But you know, those are, are you know, you know, some of those contextual forces uh, kind of uh, amount to some kind of perfect storm for uh, a modernist uh, literature that could brand itself as a, as a you know, uh, built on, you know, as a kind of fresh start, as a brand, a brand new beginning, as beginning on a wipe, a slate wipe clean. Right? Uh, so, um, so that's, you know, Ji uh, Xian and uh, the influence of this uh, manifesto uh, definitely could be seen uh, on uh, a lot of younger poets, including the soldier writers that I focus on in the next two chapters, uh, because it uh, made visible uh, some of the alternatives uh, of literary production that were not only uh, uh, were not only uh, available to them because of the uh, mediation of Jishin and, and some other early uh, practitioners, but also uh, were quite safe, right? That they they uh, somehow they can sense that kind of at least some kind of acquiescence on the part of the the government, right? That they could, you know, do this, you know. Uh, uh, you know, along with their, um, along with their day job, right? Uh, as you know, soldiers, right? Writing, among other things, uh, propaganda tracks, right? Uh, and as you know, in the case of Jishen, as a high school teacher, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so that's you know the kind of uh, mode of operation for. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, well, uh, for all, almost most of the uh, modernist writers, uh, uh, in addition to the kind of um, uh, contents that they can uh, aspire to create. So uh, that's you know what I have to say about the influence or significance of this uh, manifesto, and of course it also showcases how you could kind of uh, strike that delicate balance, right? Uh, but one thing about the role of the government, you know, this is something that uh, was first mentioned by uh, 
Zhang Songsheng, uh, that you know uh, the government actually uh, uh, made it quite clear uh, after the mid 1950s that they could not only uh, tolerate uh, so-called Chun uh, Wenxue or pure literature, right? uh, but also encourage it. Right? Um, uh, the kind of uh, uh, inside stories provided by Professor Zhang uh, is that you know writers such as Wang Dingjun, uh, who was uh, actually one of a cultural bureaucrat uh, uh, inside the national government at the time, uh, kind of secretly uh, pushed for that you know uh, at the right timing, right? Because you know uh, they just didn't see how anti-communist or patriotic literature uh, could continue to do the work that it, 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 they, in, it, they envisioned it to do. Right? So, This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, and then especially this is a, a interesting historical period. And as you mentioned, to think about art for art's sake or in terms of this kind of political um engagement or this uh, political function, if you will, of a literary writing in this moment of time, especially under the uh, nationalist regime. So uh, we talk about Jixian and also the soldier uh, writers. And then um, in one of your chapter, you focused on uh, one of the uh, writers, uh, Luo Fu, and especially uh, his work, Death of a Stone Cell. And uh, can you tell us about a little bit more about this particular work and then how it uh, uh, demonstrate the uh, Cold War ethos that you analyze in that chapter? Yeah, okay. That's the most difficult part <laughs> because that's actually the most not- notoriously uh, difficult uh, work of poetry uh, that until this day... Uh, no critic uh, can claim to uh, to be, you know, able to uh, interpret it in good faith, very clearly uh, each of the passages, each of the words or images, right? What they what they might mean, right? Uh, in a coherent way. Right? So there was also uh, one of a kind uh, work um, that that uh, could hardly be uh, repeated or, uh, uh, you know, not even by Ruofu himself uh, uh, to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, to be produced again uh, uh, or, you know, uh, to come up with uh, something uh, similar to uh, this uh, of a stone cell. Um, So... um, Okay, um, the kind of um, Cold War ethos that I elaborated on in this chapter uh, 
definitely uh, has a lot to do with uh, the. Um, okay, uh, a lot to do with some of the uh, uh, themes or sentiments, themes and sentiments uh, 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 that are uh, often associated with uh, the modernist. Uh, Literature, uh, works of literature uh, in Taiwan, right? and, but you know, in 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 in, a, in extended sense, also can characterize uh, some of the uh, modernist works elsewhere. Right? Uh, you know, that kind of anxiety, uh, some kind of uh, um, existential angst or existentialist um, uh, sentiment. Um, prevalent at the time that, you know, uh, maybe issue from some uh, very deep uh, uh, sense of insecurity, uh, uncertainty uh, pertaining to the uh, cross-trade situations uh, at the time. But of course, uh, that kind of interpretation, the last part of my interpretation of this kind of co-ethos, uh, wouldn't um, be uh, made clear uh, or uh, highlighted by uh, many of the uh, interpretations and commentators of uh, uh, Death of a Stone Cell. Right? Uh, so <clears throat> uh, the uh, formal experimentations uh, exemplified by Shi Shi right? Death of a stone cell. It's definitely uh, have far-reaching <coughs> uh, effects on the literary productions uh, uh, in the ensuing years, but also in the latter uh, decades. Uh, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, if you aspire to write uh, the most difficult. Uh, 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 works of literature, then definitely uh, you have to also uh, you have to first uh, read uh, Death of a Stone Cell. Right? Um, so yeah, so you know uh, a lot of uh, writers right. have acknowledged uh, so, uh, their sorry, sorry, yeah. Mm, so yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, a lot of writers uh, in the latter generations also have acknowledged their indebtedness right, to Death of a Stone Cell. Right? Uh, so that's you know uh, about its you know mostly about its um, the the kind of uh, formal, uh, very daring, uh, challenging, uh, and uh, also at times uh, creative uh, formal experimentation. Right? Uh, but the uh, the kind of uh, ethos uh, also uh, uh, you know can be uh, we can also shed more light on this this kind of cohort ethos if we look at uh, the 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 kind of um, um, in, in uh, critical enterprise uh, that emerged. Uh, uh, around the same time, right, uh, or you know, in the wake of Death of Stone Cell, 
what I, I call it the cult of interiority in this chapter. And uh, this is, you know, a kind of uh, preoccupation uh, with, uh, you know, with the uh, the uh, with steps, right? When it comes to literary uh, works and the, the you know the depths of uh, um, you know what, what and you know uh, human psyche, right? And uh, some kind of uh, deeper look at uh, some kind of universal uh, conditions of human existence, uh, and uh, <clears throat> the. You know, this kind of interiority complex also uh, can be uh, uh, illustrated by uh, the critics' uh, deep dive uh, into the textual, int- uh, the, the inner uh, intric- uh, intri- intricacies of the textual universe uh, uh, with some kind of almost uh, total disregard of uh, its referential um, uh, referentiality, right? And but of course, this is uh, partly uh, legitimized by uh, that kind of very evasive allusions uh, uh, that people can gather uh, from uh, from many passages uh, in Death of a Stone Cell. Right. So, so that um, so that that kind of indulgence uh, in uh, the depths of human psyche, that kind of indulgence in in the inner play of the textual world, right, uh, and that can take you away from uh, 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 the uh, the uh, uh, brutal realities of the Cold War context, uh, but in and but also into some kind of uh, presumably infinite complexities of the textual universe. Uh, that that's you know uh, that kind of uh, uh, cult of interiority uh, actually have um, have influence. Uh, uh, many of the contemporary writers and critics uh, and its you know impact can also be uh, evidence in some of the uh, 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 writers coming after them yeah. right and then especially you mentioned there are some of the themes concern and also sentiments that uh, we see in Lofu's uh, death of the stone cell but later on we also see uh, in different um, modernist writers and also this um, in some way also uh, we see the influence from the western uh, model as well and uh, so earlier uh, so we talk about the themes and sentiments and um, earlier you also talk about the nationalist regime that how they in some way uh, sort of uh, uh, allow this development of modernist uh, trend in Taiwan. But in addition to the nationalist um, um, uh, regime, there's also some of the American connection and also the uh, U.S. aid in terms of the formation and development of literary modernism in Taiwan. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the U.S. aided literary establishment and how they shape the modernist literature in Taiwan. Okay, so that is about 
chapter four and five of my book. Um, so <clears throat> that kind of uh, American presence um, uh, was already nascent in the earliest year of uh, this modernist uh, movement, but it became uh, so um, much more visible and uh, uh, impactful uh, after the 1960s. Uh, and uh, uh, there was also around the same time since the uh, you know late 1950s uh, the emergence of what I call the culture of USAs right uh, that has a lot to do with uh, you know the fact that you know uh, Taiwan uh, had been receiving uh, uh, A's from the United States uh, in multiple multiple forms, right? Uh, not limited to military A's, right? Uh, um, and and even after uh, the A's uh, had been have uh, phased out uh, in the sixties, uh, that kind of uh, culture. Uh, not only that kind of cultural impact not only stayed but also flourished, right? as we will be able to see in the uh, in the formation of this uh, U.S. aided literary uh, establishment. Right? The term was uh, uh, in Chinese was uh, uh, It was first coined by the scholar Chen Jianzhong. Um, and uh, um, I actually uh, uh, benefited of, uh, a lot from uh, the work of Chen Jianzhong and also the archival work uh, done by Wang Meixiang uh, in this regard when I try to uh, retract uh, this kind of institutional formation that enabled uh, the flourishing of modernist literature uh, since the early 1960s. Uh, so, uh, okay, so we now have to kind of uh, dive a little bit deeper into the, the specific examples uh, and moments uh, uh, in which, you know, this kind of... Uh, uh, in which this kind of U.S. aided establishment uh, uh, worked. So uh, in chapter four, I talk about. Uh, I think I. I. I mean, my one of my points is that in order to really better understand uh, the much celebrated uh, founding event of modern modernist literature in the form of the publication of the journal. Uh, modern literature by those young student writers. Uh, we have to also trace a little bit back uh, to, uh, you know, uh, who kind of uh, gave, you know, who kind of nurtured uh, those ideas uh, for them, right? Who, you know, I mean, we had kind of, that's why I also mentioned uh the mentor of these student writers, Xia uh, Jian Tie Xia, right, <clears throat> and his his journal, uh, literary review, right, in Chinese, Wen Xue Zhi. 
what's the significance of this uh, journal? Uh, 文学杂志 uh, because according to the uh, uh, latest um, findings of recent scholarship, um, uh, 文学杂志 literary review uh, did receive um, uh, some forms of funding or some form of financial support. From this U.S.、Uh, agency, U.、Uh, U.S.I.S. Taipei, right? Uh, uh, Taipei right?、Um, so, uh, uh, the American connections uh, of Xia、uh, Jian and、uh, his students. Had been known、uh, before、uh, the latest archival findings. That people know that they have uh, obviously uh, they obviously have very good connections with the Americans,、uh, American officials、uh, based in Taiwan at the time, right?、Uh, and uh, their uh, works. Uh, Uh, and literary practices, the publications, those journals,、uh, definitely can uh, be infl- uh, inflected uh, by the American presence. Right, uh, but uh, but the the、uh, the work by Wang Meixiang and uh, and uh, Chen Jianzhong、uh, tell us more、uh, in in more detail and you know in some kind of、uh, hard evidence. How、uh, you know? How you know directly,、uh, although co-、uh, secretly or covertly, uh, uh, the Americans、uh, took part in this kind of、uh, literary establishment around those years. Uh, so uh, it, it's also because of the connections of Xia Jian that、uh, low students.、Uh, Could have some kind of fast track、uh, to literary success. It doesn't mean that they were not talented, right? But they, they,、uh, they could make use of uh, their mentors' uh, connections and、uh, actually did receive a lot of help from one of the uh, pivotal uh, figures as far as、uh, American officials are concerned.、Uh, Richard McCarthy, right,、uh, to help them、um, uh, not only get published but publicize their works、right? through uh, the uh, official channels uh, uh, established by the Americans, and also, you know, after their graduations, uh, uh, send them to uh, some uh, American institutions, mostly、uh, the. Writers Workshop at Iowa uh, to uh, continue to continue their literary pursuit and uh, uh, embark on that kind of expatriate writings.、Right? So yeah, so uh, uh, we cannot、uh, you know go over all the details, and I know there are people who are not happy about this kind of archival finding. Uh, but uh, but they you know、uh, they did、uh, tell us a lot about uh, uh, the extent uh, to which uh, uh, the 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 U.S. presence 
uh, and the culture of USA uh, play into the uh, the literary establishment at the time. And oh, sorry, if I can just add one more thing, right? Um, the uh, the um, okay. There's also this reformist uh, thrust uh, on the part of uh, uh, both Xia Ji and, and his students, right? Uh, and you know uh, when they um, in uh, when they um, uh, when they uh, you know uh, established uh, the, their journals, right? Uh, first literary uh, review and then. Uh, Modern literature. Uh, they have their visions. They have their agendas, uh, and those uh, are the the agenda is reformist uh, uh, in, in nature. Right? Uh, uh, but you know, just like you know, uh, their uh, predecessors uh, uh, in Cold War Taiwan, uh, they also uh, tried uh, to strike some kind of balance. Uh, uh, and uh, they also had this, uh, what I uh, have repeatedly called uh, throughout the book, this kind of moderate, not only modernist, but also moderationist uh, inclination in doing their work. Right? They, you know, they tend to do, you know, they, you know, tend to have this kind of one step forward, half step back uh, <laughs> process, right? In pushing for or pushing the envelope, right, uh, to kind of allocate for an alternative uh, paradigm that eventually became part of the canon. Right? Uh, so, so Xia uh, Jian's uh, literary uh, magazine, uh, literary uh, review. Uh, was uh, established first as a, some kind of alternative to the uh, communist, anti-communist uh, literature uh, 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 propagated uh, by uh, the authorities. Right? Uh, so they offer instead some kind of uh, some form uh, or some version of pure literature uh, that that doesn't carry some kind of uh, didactic uh, messages that doesn't really uh, try to, uh, you know, champion some kind of anti-communist cause, although they they were, they also have their anti-communist agenda. You know, that's a side point, right? Uh, and, and the, the, you know, because, you know, because their connection with the U.S. Cold War uh, initiatives, that's, you know, uh, the, the American support is definitely part of the anti-communist agenda, right? But yeah, so they, that's what they set out to do, right? To, to provide some alternative, uh, to advocate for some alternative paradigm. And this has been passed on to their students and their students, uh, I mean, I mean, Jian students um, focus more on uh, so-called modernist literature as their paradigm, right? Uh, which is slightly different from their mentors' uh, um, um, kind of um, orientation, literary orientation or taste uh, that needs more to some kind of realist uh, agenda. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, so that is uh, so one another thing that I uh, also mentioned uh, more than once is you know uh, that kind of compromise formation right, in in the uh, uh, in the literary uh, USA the literary um, uh, establishment and in in the uh, uh, the literary practices uh, by um, by the modernist writers, right? Uh, it's uh, in in different ways. They all have to uh, kind of um, come to terms with some parts of reality to negotiate uh, some limited um, autonomy or agency, right? Uh, even though, okay, on paper, uh, autonomy is like, you know, literary autonomy is like some kind of say, one of the uh, principles that are deemed to be sacred, you know, uh, beyond a- anything else, right? Uh, but in reality, uh, they knew and they actually comply to some of the uh, circumstantial limits, uh, uh, that they simply have to adjust to. So I think that's also uh, part of the, uh, uh, you know, characters of uh, this co-modernism that I wish to uh, uh, highlight and uh, have some uh, deeper understanding of. Mm-hmm. And especially in this uh, American connections, and also as you mentioned, the uh, U.S. aid, American support, and but this is also a process of negotiation and compromise for the uh, modernist writers that they have to consider different um, uh, issues and also their context of writing. And uh, so with that, uh, I want to sort of zoom in in one of the uh, example that you analyze in chapter five, and specifically uh, Bai Xianyong, and uh, who is a, a, a renowned modernist writer, but uh, later on actually uh, crossed the Pacific and then came to United States and uh, write uh, multiple uh, literary works as well. And you analyzed his work, especially in terms of this kind of exile in the 1970s. So can you tell us a little bit more about Bai Xianyong and his work, and especially the literature of exile in the 1970s? Okay, yes. So, um, so after their departure from Taiwan and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, they, they embark on their uh, graduate studies in the United States one by one. Those uh, the most famous uh, student writers follow this path, right? Um, and uh, uh, yes, there's, so there's they you know in the end they they uh, especially in the case of Bai Xianyong, right? But also that also applies to uh, I would say most of the. Uh, most of the most uh, well-known modernist writers, uh, they write primarily overseas. They wrote primarily overseas and uh, uh, and therefore constitute some kind of expatriate writings. Right? Uh, but, you know, uh, they have also had this kind of very curious 
trajectory that I uh, uh, that I look at and analyze in more depth in in in, in detail in this chapter. Uh, so there's this kind of um, uh, what I call exit and uh, return and uh, exile uh, uh, trajectory, right? So uh, they, they, I mean, they just like, first of all, there's this uh, quest for an exit that is quite common uh, in those Cold War years, right? Uh, I think... Uh, I think I mentioned in one of the notes um, in chapter four, chapter five, uh, uh, that you know I think you, you also have heard of that that saying, right? Right. So, uh, so that kind of exit is you know part of a core symptoms uh, um, that speaks to the uh, uncertainty of the um, uh, you know the collective fate of people in Taiwan, right? Uh, but also uh, tell us about uh, an, a kind of alternative American dream that many Taiwanese have, especially those uh, up-and-coming um, writers, right? So, so uh, yeah, I would definitely uh, focus, zoom in on Bai Xianyong, but let me just mention briefly, right, this past, right, uh, you know, uh, that is kind of um, spearheaded by someone like uh, Yu Guangzhong and then the student writers and then uh, following them uh, one by one, the, the, the you know, uh, the almost all the major writers uh, that we have known uh, from Taiwan uh, and also uh, other uh, famous writers from other parts of the world, mostly uh, from those countries that were uh, U.S. allies, uh, that you know went to this uh, uh, international uh, uh, writing program in Iowa. So, uh, okay, so Bai Xinyong uh, kind of uh, uh, embodied uh, that past and that mode of uh, creative uh, production very well. And, uh, uh, okay, so did you, uh, by the way, did you ask me to also talk about that short story or just Bai Xinyong's uh, trajectory? Um, yeah, I think both will be great. And then uh, especially the winter night that you analyze, yes. So yeah, I, I um, kind of uh, did some some very detailed uh, textual analysis of this short story, part, partly because it 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 uh, epitomizes um, um, the kind of mindset and uh, trajectories of a lot of intellectuals uh, in Kuo Taiwan around that uh, around those decades in the 50s and 60s, right? Uh, and also, I think, you know, that can also be said about the 70s. Um, so uh, there were these two college friends right, uh, who uh, have similar background as, um, um, you know, the, the, the teacher of those student writers, like Xia Jian, right? 
a few years uh, older than than uh, the student writers, and uh, so they uh, the, the the reunion uh, between these two friends uh, led them to kind of uh, uh, reminisce and uh, reminisce their uh, good old days uh, in. Um, Beijing University, right, uh, taking part in the uh, anti-Japanese protest and in that kind of uh, 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 outburst of uh, 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 patriotism, and uh, but also uh, their participation in the main force movement. Right? Uh, so this can uh, definitely lead us to. Uh, the kind of um, uh, first of all the trajectory uh, that are also repeated by the uh, modernist writers, right? The uh, exit, right? Uh, like those uh, characters in the novel, uh, in the short story, the exit uh, from their homeland, right? Leaving China and uh, the longing for return. Right, as you know, this embodied by this um, uh, character who is a professor teaching at UC Berkeley uh, and teaching Chinese literature, no less. And uh, um, but also, um, uh, it also kind of um, initiate uh, instantiate that kind of uh, uh, intellectual remonstrance. That is <clears throat> crucial to uh, our understanding of uh, this modernism. Right? Uh, so, what is that? Uh, what is that uh, traditional remonstrance? Uh, what What does that appeal to them? Right? Um, uh, the main force uh, definitely is a historical event that they uh, they 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 they. they continue to return to, especially when they invoke uh, something that can help their present cause. Right? Uh, so, uh, but, you know, this uh, uh, invocation uh, of that uh, re- uh, tradition of remonstrance uh, would also uh, tell us about their urge for, first of all, for modernization, right? uh, the modernization of literature, of uh, culture, right? uh, and uh, but also um, their, uh, but but also their uh, deep-seated uh, nationalism uh that uh would be uh that would be uh, that would be illustrated by uh their uh traditionalist undercurrents that came up much later uh, after they have uh secured their places in the literary canon so uh so so you can see through the characters and also through the career paths of these modernist writers. So, so there's this exit, right? And 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 uh, following that exit, there's this longing for return. Right? And the longing for return also is coupled with, you know, 
some kind of regret about the earlier access, right? That they, uh, in retrospect, uh, they tend to think that they were excessive uh, in their earlier endeavor. Uh, uh, so they kind of self-corrected themselves later on. Right? Um, uh, so the moderationist uh, pension, right? Uh, and uh, but eventually they settled in some form of uh, exile, right? uh, both spiritual and or either spiritual, spiritual or uh, actual uh, exile, uh, and in some cases both. Right? Uh, so, so uh, you know. Uh, so uh, Bai Xianyong also uh, wrote the majority of his best works right, in exile, right? a kind of chosen exile, right? Um, so um, including, you know, this story, uh, Winter Night, uh, that, that I discussed in detail in, my, in chapter five. So that is... Um, um, you know, that is the kind of mode of operation uh, uh, that we can see in other modernist writers that follow his footsteps. I, we, uh, I, in this chapter, I also mentioned uh, that some of the uh, the, uh, the other lesser known modernist writers, of course, as well known by you, uh, Guo Songfen and Li Yu, and also Chen Ruoxi. Right? Um, uh, who uh, kind of uh, had a slightly different uh, trajectory than uh, Bai Xianyong and, and, and Wang Wenxin and Ouyang Zi uh, and those other uh, uh, student writers that are household names now. Um, so, but uh, uh, but. But you know they have this uh, they they have this preoccupation with China right? uh, that led them to actually uh, went back actually went lead them led them to actually go back to China right and uh, as you definitely are aware of their uh, Chen Ruoxi and uh, and the and uh, Guo Songfen's return to China. Uh, were made possible precisely because uh, they resided at the time in the United States. Right? Uh, they did not uh, go back to China uh, from t- Taiwan. Right? I mean, they have to kind of do that by some kind of detour. Right? Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, the, they could only write about and reflect on their uh China experiences, uh, at, you know, after they uh, had left China and and continued to to live in exile and write in that you know produce that kind of expatriate writing, and that's also the the, the circumstances in which they they produce their best works. Yeah, and then specifically, as you mentioned, this uh, trajectory, as you mentioned, the exit, return, and exile from the beginning to seek exit, a way out, and then later on to long for a return. And 
eventually there's the spiritual or and in some cases and the actual exile and in some degree it's a self-exile as well so for this trajectory and then the uh the modernist writers they are um uh, experiencing while producing their uh, modernist work so uh, with uh, this different uh, case studies, and then we also talk about the historical context, political landscape, and also the different uh, literary production for the modernist literature in Taiwan that you analyze in this book, particularly in the Cold War context. Um, so we are curious, is there any material that didn't get to be included in the book or uh, any uh, most unexpected material you encounter or some of the uh, archival material or anything you would like to share with us uh, in this uh, writing of the book? Uh, yeah, there are some unexpected um, materials that I stumbled on, but, you know, uh, I, I couldn't include it into this uh the writing of this book, uh, but I will, uh, in, you know, in my next book. <laughs> uh, the, you know, there are definitely more things that I would have liked to include in this book uh, than time allowed. Uh, so uh, I, like I said, at the toward the beginning, uh, I realized quickly that this, you know, uh, this is just one, uh, the, the first step of my uh, coming to terms with both uh, modernism and post-colonial studies. Right? So uh, there were theoretical issues that I would have uh, uh, elaborated on in more depth uh, uh, if I had a time or more space uh, but I, you know, for example, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the temporality of, um, of modernism and some more uh, theoretical uh, reflections on the second coming nature of this modernism and also actually other modernism as well. Right? Uh, but, but I think, you know, I, in the end, I think this, uh, the book in its present state is actually the final state of this book um, uh, can be more uh, maybe in tune with uh, uh, scholarly books in the field of Taiwan studies um, and uh, I would save some of the uh, more theori theoretical questions uh you know, for some other occasions, and some of those would, uh, you know, be written into my next book. Yeah, uh, but you know, I think um, I would say uh, at the very beginning, uh, maybe that was many years ago, maybe six or five years ago, when I, you know, wasn't sure I wanted to actually start writing this book. Uh, I didn't know. I wasn't very sure about the archival work. I was kind of skeptical about that. Right? Um, and uh, because, you know, there have been some kind of uh, controversies and, you know, you know, people like Bai Xianyong and his, um, 
uh, co-hosts, you know, uh, actually went to the media to kind of uh, denounce some of the uh, uh, claims other people made, right? Uh, you know, in this case, uh, made by Chen Fangling. So I kind of didn't uh, want to get into that kind of controversy, but, you know, I think, uh, but by the time I actually uh, started writing this book, uh, uh, I think uh, I already uh, know well enough about the uh, uh, the archives. And I think, you know, uh, it, there's, I, I also thought that there was uh, a, a, a way to, kind of um, put those archives in a context that allow for some kind of more nuanced understanding of uh, what they did around those years and how the uh, U.S. aided establishment um, came, uh, came about and how we, you know, eventually, inevitably, uh, everyone would come to some kind of judgment uh, um, you know, those connections. Right? Uh, but I think, uh, uh, you know, it's also very important and uh, and there's no looking away from those hard evidence either. Right. And then um, specifically to think about uh, what gets to be included in the archive and how to interpret the archival material. And uh, also you mentioned several times about your next book, and next project. So I guess uh, um, we have to ask, um, so what are you working on right now or what's your next project is? Mm. Okay, I think um, following on my arguments and findings in this book, um, Cold Modernism, uh, I will now uh, seek in the new book project to examine account for the populist turn across most categories of cultural productions, including art, cinema, literature, pop, as well as serious music, even folk cultural practices that uh, characterize uh, Taiwan's post-martial law cultural scene and that uh, coincide with the radical and social, uh, radical political and social changes of the era. So it's, you know, like I said, you know, I wanted to also bring in <laughs> my years of studies on um, uh, post-colonialism um, post and also my initial interest in accounting for the colonial and post-colonial situations of Taiwan. And it, because I think also there was this, it seems to me there was this missed opportunity or I would say maybe, you know, the, the kind of work um, that uh, we in Taiwan academia had done uh, on post-colonialism or post-coloniality uh, of Taiwan uh, didn't really uh, help me answer some of the questions. So I... I, and I actually, you know, looking back at that, uh, that part of intellectual, very recent intellectual history, I, I kind of a little bit puzzled by why, for example, a lot of people stop uh, <laughs> doing or at least not uh, 
focusing on uh, the more patently post-coronal issues, right? Uh, as you know, as if you know, at that time it's like okay, so there's this uh, linguistic term postmodernism, and then there's this uh, turn to postcolonialism, and then we move on to some other paradigm, some new catchphrase um, from uh, Euro-American academia, and you know, it just you know, then it seems that you know, uh, we just move on, right, without uh, uh, kind of finished. Uh, uh, the work that a lot of people have already touched on regarding the post-coloniality of uh, Taiwan, including myself, right? So, um, so that's you know uh, that's something that I hope that I can make up for <laughs> um, in my next book. Uh, it was make up for something that I uh, I wasn't able to address. Uh, in this book on co-war modernism, right? But, you know, it's, you know, the second step, you know, that has to be followed up. And uh, so, so I think, you know, another thing that I uh, want to, uh, another thing that is, you know, part of the, uh, um, in the backdrop of the new book, uh, but also in the backdrop of the this book we're talking about is this, um, incremental yet decisive shift in Taiwan's collective identity, right? Away from a, a once hegemonic uh, Sino-centric cultural ide- ideology and towards the Taiwanese here and now, right? So, so um, yeah, so the Taiwanese here and now serves as, now, you know, serves as the uh, unmistakable default, right? Unlike, you know, the uh, the kind of parameter of the China of the past and the future that underpins the uh, preceding modernist paradigm. Right? So um, so uh, in this new project, I I would um, you know try to illustrate through a wide range of works uh, uh, and uh, you know and. Uh, Talk about the uh, the aforementioned, aforementioned shift, right? Resulting from resulting from the recognition and reconsiderations of Taiwan's past of settler serial colonialism. Right? You know, this is uh, definitely uh, yeah. This is uh, one of the uh, terms highlighted by <coughs> Sushu Mei, and uh, I think you know, in order to more adequately address. The postcoloniality of Taiwan, uh, and that also enabled this, you know, that kind of uh, shift and reconsideration uh, of the modernist paradigm would be, you know, uh, for me very important the the historical character of Taiwan as a center economy. Right? So, uh, and also the lasting effects of what I term the. Uh, mediated coloniality of Taiwan. So those are the things that I uh, that I, I wish to address, uh, not only theoretically, but also through uh, these illustrations of numerous texts and cases. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully in the end, uh, this new project can also help me to return to some of the some of uh, my unfinished business <laughs> with modernism, but also help to shed light on some of the uh, arguments 
or refine some of the arguments that I have made uh, in this book on co-modernism. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Li Jing, and that sounds great project. And then, um, and we look forward to reading more of your work and also see the different uh, uh, next step uh, after this book. So uh, with that, uh, Li Jing, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoy our conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I, I also enjoyed the conversation very much. I wish we had more time to talk about that, but it looks like you know we have already spent two hours. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe uh, yeah, I was there some minutes outside the official recording, but I guess you know maybe maybe you will be will be cut off <laughs> by this Zen's uh, Zencaster uh, at any moment. So yeah, I think we should you know come to an end now. Yeah, but um, we will be looking forward to your work and then uh, look forward to welcoming you back again uh, with another episode. And I also want to thank you, our audience, for staying with us to the end. And I hope everybody's staying safe, taking good care, and see you guys next time. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.